0: hi everybody welcome back to the alan wake book club podcast we're going to talk about the second piece of dlc from the original alan wake game titled the the writer uh so with me today i am lance we have adam hey we got ben hello hello we got mike hey hey so guys so uh before we jump in a couple of things uh, i want to touch base so about the signal uh you know, probably like most things, right after we finish talking, I had a couple of thoughts. Um, something did we miss that the signal equals the TV signal, which is essentially why you have all those TVs there, and also finding the source is finding like Alan, the crazy Alan that we keep hearing so much about. I think those are pretty obvious things that we just didn't, we kind of skipped over.
1: Yeah, I, I like that a lot, as well as you know. Thinking about it a little bit more, um, TVs as a motif kind of makes a lot of sense just from the way that the game is structured. Uh, Sort Mm -hmm. of like as a a TV show, you have the previously on, you have the sort of end caps for music. Um, They they direct it very much like a a season of a television show. Uh, So sort of a lot of that carries over to the imagery um, that you see in, in the signal as well and the writer.
0: Thanks, Ben. All right, so jumping in, let's go through uh I'm excited to say the second second episode where we actually have comments for people. So thank you guys for commenting on our Reddit post. Uh Mosun04 uh one zero zero three said this is great. So thank you, uh Mosun. Uh just uh interesting stories relate to the environment. Uh looking to see if there's any kind of more insights about uh Bright falls, the real bright falls from the dlc so not necessarily in alan's mind um you guys have any tips for a december mouse on on that kind of where to get more information
2: um yeah the first place i mean like there's really not a whole lot in the game itself but if you read the companion book if you got the special fancy collector's edition on xbox or if you buy it on steam it'll have this on there as well um it's the alan wake files um has Kind of a little bit more information that you're not going to get from the game itself. It involves Clay Stewart, who is the random bloke out in the you know dream sequence in the very beginning of the game. Um, it's written from his point of view. That'd be a really good place. And then, honestly, uh, yeah, Control has a lot of kind of background stuff there too. But we're not talking about that yet. So yeah, not. Maybe
1: we'll uh, talk yeah, about I'll... the Alan Wake file sometime.
0: <laughs> maybe, but I'll double down on Control. I mean. I uh, hope if you're listening to this, probably Control is in your... Uh, either you've played it or it's in your pile of shame getting ready to be played. A lot of what you pick up around there gives more insight into uh, Bright Falls. So, uh, and we will talk about that in a future podcast at some point. And uh, last, sorry if I uh, if I mess up your name. Uh, uh He listened to all the episodes in one day, so... My man! Giving it up for you—that's awesome. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of us
2: talking. <laughs> yeah, I know, like, you've got the patience of the Buddha. That's for that. a full-time <laughs> job you. of us talking.
0: I can I can tell you right now, we all appreciate it. when we read your post. We were just like, man, know, yeah, thank you so much. We're glad we're glad that you guys come back to listen, and uh, you know, and we are happy that you know we bring some some happiness to you.
2: Lord knows, this all year right. we could all use a little bit of distraction.
0: I think it, not just a little bit <laughs> uh, okay so we're, we're so we're starting with the the writer so let's uh start off with the uh, the intro video and kind of gives us the, the previous behind the scenes previously on alan wake it's not a lake it's an not- after saving my wife from the mysterious
3: dark presence, I found myself trapped in the dark place. Imagination can be the enemy here. A nightmarish world that exists somewhere beyond the shores of our own existence. You're the one making all this happen. Just
4: do what Zane tells you. Follow
3: the signal. Is all this really yeah. coming out of my head? dark place I made my way across its ever-shifting yeah. landscape, trying to reach
5: Thomas Zane. You're trapped in your own nightmares. You're still going deeper.
6: There you go, Allen. It's all in your head. You've been making it up.
5: Really?
6: Your delusions are
3: out of control. Get out of my head. Seriously, Al. You need to get a grip. You know reality's different here. See what I mean, Al? I think I'm stuck on this side. Well, you're going to have to find your way out of there. I'll wait. Just remember, you're still in the dark place. You know that, right? I don't want to alarm you, pal, but it's sink or swim time.
7: Fine.
0: Yeah, so so there we are. We're back. Uh, just got to talk to kind of... You got to hear from Emil Talking to Alan. Uh, then we're we're talking to Barry. Again, in this case, you lose all your weapons again. Um, one thing I noticed is What Barry said, you're still in the dark place, and then sink or swim, right? So you jump in the water, so you're still swimming, you're still sinking. Uh, But what did you guys think, you know, coming back into this intro after the signal? It was teased at the end.
2: I mean, I'm just glad that Barry is back, uh, mostly. Like, more Barry is best Barry. So uh, that was kind of fun. It was kind of interesting as well, because it sets you back at the Hartman uh, Institute for people who can't read it, whatever the... I forget what the thing is called. The Lodge, essentially. Um, yeah, the Calder so, Lake Lodge. Yes, thank you. So, like, it ties directly into the kind of like weird hallucinatory sequence that you have at the end, which also is kind of like compounding some of the questions about, like, is he losing his mind? Is this in his head or not? So, it's like helping kind of like, I think it adds like a refresher to some of the questions that we may have had, um, which I mean, for us, playing it when it's already out is not really needed, but when it originally came out, there was a good chunk of time in between so probably helpful I don't know
8: yeah I I mean I think I think that also um you know Hartman was a, a pretty big part of of Alan Wake as far as like the um I guess just like the main arc like he was he ended up being ultimately a red herring of like you know you waking up there but Oh it's it's all just a dream like you're you're just crazy um which Alan Wake plays with a lot right up until that point.
0: Yeah and, and even now I mean we're trying to find that crazy Alan Wake right we saw him in the the signal at the end of the TVs and now we're here so you, I think you make a great point Mike that almost kind of fits that kind of that madness uh theme we're getting from from here. So at this point you go through a, a hedge maze and uh, I mean, you get your guns and everything quickly again. Uh, you do see some uh, gods of Asgard, like you see the shields, you see the signs. That leads up to, I think, kind of a fun battle outside of the lodge, where it's kind of like the uh, messed up gods of Asgard stage, just have all the fireworks, and you're just getting swarmed by enemies at that point. I thought I thought that was fun. Not as fun as in the the first game, but still pretty neat to revisit that.
1: The, the song being played, like, backwards or, like, with a bunch of effects over it to make it creepy was, was a good touch, I think. Because um, you're still, like, in the dark place, so, like, everything's distorted. So, like, the song, rather than being, like, this thing that gets you pumped is, like, oppressive in and of itself. Because it has that same weird speech pattern that, like, the Taken do, um, which I thought was good. Because you're, like, yeah, you get pretty swarmed, uh, like, pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, like the main the major kind of feeling that I got from this entire segment is like you're in bizarro bright falls, right? Like you're still in the dark place where like everything is like slightly messed up, everything's slightly off. And I feel like it just gets compounded more and more throughout the entire episode, but like it really establishes it pretty heavy on. Also the fact that like the very first flashlight you get is a heavy duty lantern. It's like, oh well. This is going to just be fucking awful the entire time. So they kind of like set that precedent right off the bat. It's going to be a lot of, uh, they're not screwing around. They're giving you the tools that you need right from the get-go. That's always a good sign.
1: It does make me wonder how the DLCs were designed because it very much feels like they flow from one into the other. Like I'm pretty sure that the lantern you get at the start of this one is either a step up or the exact same lantern that you end the last episode with. So even though they take it away from you for a little bit, uh, you sort of don't feel like there's any regression in terms of like the the equipment you have at your disposal. So like things are still ramping up. And I think like if you if you went from one episode to the other, I think things ramp up at, in a pretty smooth curve.
8: Sometimes I also wonder if that's a development choice where um, they like in in Alway constantly at the start of every episode, like you are having equipment removed and you have it have it given back to you. I wonder if if like when they were developing the game they had just set up structures in that way where there where people were working on that specific slice and so they were like, hey, you know, you don't have to worry about anything from the previous episodes. All you have to worry about is, like, at your slice, you know, 10 minutes in, this is with the weapon that they're getting. Um, it just, it seems like that, like, it's just too common. It just happens, it happens so much throughout the game. It just seems like they, there was a conscious effort for them to kind of, like, balance, I guess, the encounters.
2: I was just going to say, like, I almost feel like the, uh, it's one fluid narrative arc. So I feel like both the DLC, like, kind of the the feeling that I get is it started off as just the overall story was going to be one uh, episode, but then they realized that, like, they either drew out the signal too long, or something like that, and they had to split it up into two. Because it does have that very fluid transition from the signal directly into the writer. Like, there's no real gap there. Or, like, there's not a whole lot of backstory that's told. so like, you know, flashback sequences or introductory cinematic. It just goes directly from one right into the other, so um it, I, I just get the feeling that it may have been developed at the same time or that they just realized they had to split it up i
1: don't know it also saying that it does make you wonder if uh they had to come up with a boss fight to sort of end the signal because if you think about the ending <laughs> of the signal uh, like the boss fight's there or whatever, but it it also doesn't culminate in anything. Like it, there is no status quo change at the end of the signal, which is the one of the problems that I had with it. It sort of introduces problems, but there's no solution at the end of it. Uh, you could probably remove the boss fight entirely, and and append it directly to the beginning of this, and then it would it would look like one contiguous sort of narrative where like he's always like he's always in the dark place. He's always trying to find his way out. Um, and sort of the ending of the signal didn't really need to exist in the form that it
0: did uh, one continuation you guys are also point out from the signal is we start off with you know uh shine the light on the words You st- you see that kind of earlier on where in the signal that was kind of one of the revelations when you pick up the verizon phone um that you can start you know shine light on the words and we get a little of that when you f- you know after the gods of asgard gods of asgard um Bizarro concert Uh, when you go into the uh, lodge we hear from Zane
5: Zane You have done well, Alan Now I can accompany you You're trapped in your own dream You must wake yourself up, but first you have to reach yourself The cabin Yes, my cabin It will not be easy Your previous work can help you I still have some pages of your manuscript left Words like that have
0: power here. So I thought that was interesting. You know, uh, Zane still has the manuscript, and he's you know, again telling Alan, "Hey, your words have power here," which we've seen. But that he's like drip feeding it to him. I know we kind of had a little bit of that before, but I think would this be the first time we're seeing writings that Alan like wasn't aware of? Or was that in the signal too? Um,
8: that I mean, I think that this is the first time. Um, I think. I'm not sure if Adam brought this up in a previous episode, but there, there's a point where it seems like Alan isn't actively writing uh, anymore. Like he, he might still be creating or he might still be working on the typewriter, but he's definitely not like writing the book. Um, and so it does seem like at at least at this point, it seems like it's a nod to maybe Zane has more control. Uh, and Alan kind of only has this weird uh, like tertiary control with like, lighting up the words like it's a more direct um it's like i don't know i'm trying to think of like a better way to explain it but it does seem like more direct and less like obtuse where it's like a master creator um relationship where with his with himself instead it's more of like i can
2: affect the world directly yeah i mean another thing that i kind of uh picked up here specifically i remember having this thought is that i don't know a whole lot about diving suits but the way that Thomas Zane is breathing is very Darth Vader-like. Like you've got that kind of thing in the background. Like, but if he's got an air tube, I don't think he'd have to have a respirator. And so I feel like it adds like a weird kind of dynamic that makes him sound kind of menacing. And I'm really like, I already distrust Thomas Zane immensely. I think I've ranted to you guys about this before, maybe not while recording, but and so the fact that he's saying, like, I've got your pages words have power here so let me give you some certain select words like it immediately makes me wonder like are these words that alan Wake actually wrote or are they words that thomas zane wrote because thomas zane did like it's been shown that he has been able to impact reality he wrote himself out of existence banished himself to the dark place made the shoebox loophole so in like at this point i really start distrusting thomas zane Uh, and it could just be the darth vader villain like you know noise in the way that he's breathing i I don't know, but like this whole thing is like just becomes sketchier and sketchier for me.' Will, I'll definitely talk a little bit more about this a little bit later on as well, But this is when the seed of doubt really kind of first got you know planted in my head.
0: Yes, talking about the manuscript, a bunch of words come up. Uh, the first one that comes up is is clear. And when you shine your light on that one, what you see is the lighthouse. And again, I don't remember you know everything about the other episodes. I do remember this lighthouse coming from. This was like the opening scene of the game, where you walk up to a lighthouse.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, he was trying to escape, right, to the lighthouse from uh, like whatever darkness there was, which is also a callback, I think, to the original release trailer where he was running to the lighthouse um, while he was being pursued by like people who were in like creepy-looking rain jackets or something. Uh, back when the game still was very much sort of like a day-night cycle focus uh like survival game. Yeah.
2: You could almost say that it always starts with lighthouse. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, oh a lighthouse. BioShock. Is this is this part of the BioShock universe confirmed because <laughs> there's a lighthouse? I don't know. That another thing that came to my mind, but This is as connected to the Bioshock
8: universe as uh, Life is Strange is connected to the Bioshock universe.
1: I don't know if you (laughs) knew that that Thomas Zane and Big Daddy have the same (laughs) atmospheric (laughs) diving suit. Is Thomas Zane a Big Daddy?
0: (laughs) Alan Wake, would you you kindly read
1: the
7: little sister?
0: all right uh so yeah so after you see the lighthouse we do get another uh, little piece of audio from, from thomas zane the lighthouse it's very
5: appropriate i can help you reach it but after that you will be on your own i cannot enter the cabin now the dark presence made sure of that on our last encounter you are facing yourself the parts of your mind that are hard to control this is not a fight anyone
0: else can win for you. At that, at that point, he kind of sets it up. You know, the, he can't go inside. Uh, the dark presence uh, won't let him anymore. Um, what do you guys think of that in terms of setting up, knowing, knowing where we're going to end up?
1: I mean, I think it sort of continues the conversation we were having about the last game, which is that this is very much a fight between Alan and himself, uh, which I mm-hmm. guess, like, if you look at sort of how the dark presence works, um is like makes sense uh it's sort of like an internal struggle that he's going through to not lose himself to the darkness uh so it being between him and him and no one else can really help him with it uh like rings true to me
8: mm-hmm. what do you think about thomas zane not even being real and it's just his this is all just alan Wake's brain because um barry and barry you know barry says it straightforward he's like hey it's not it's not me it's just like what you think i am so like what if this is Alan Wake? What he thought Thomas Zane would be like, just from the small bits of information we get over the game?
0: That he's like, hey, I need a guide, let me pull a guide and in- yeah into existence. It yeah. could be. I
1: mean, that's always been the question, right? As sort of the chicken and the egg, like who came first, whether it's uh, who wrote Alan getting the clicker into the shoebox that like did Thomas Zane write that? Did Alan write Thomas Zane writing that? Does it matter at the end of the day? Is it just like a is yeah. it just like a loop? Uh, I mean, there's some indication, I think, in the game that Thomas Zane is uh, one of the only things that could survive down here um, and may still be alive down here, uh, even if he's not sort of a presence. And I mean, does Alan writing that Thomas Zane is here bring Thomas Zane back from whatever darkness he was in? Um,
8: Yeah. Yeah. And we've we've talked about this off the podcast, too, like just about the, I guess, level of. Power that that Alan has over his over his reality and others. So I I, I think that is an interesting question, and in that it's never truly answered. Um, you know, in in Alan Wake, um, just kind of where where things end, um, and where they begin. What's the darkness? What's Alan Wake? You know, what's what um, you know, what's something else maybe? But it is interesting to think like that. This could even be a self deception, um, of himself of just. Alan, you know, going through this in himself, because you know, there's nobody who lies better to yourself than you.
0: Well, huh, that's really interesting. I never I guess until this discussion, I never thought of Zane being a figment of his imagination. I was kinda of assuming Zane had some you know, power over the dark place. At least not power, but like a, a presence. You know, he he kind of that's his new that's where he lives. Um so no, that perspective is really, really interesting. It shifts a lot of my thinking for stuff in the past.
7: Just, just a
0: thought. <laughs> hey, that's what we're here to do. Uh, my next notes here are not that complimentary. It <laughs> says lots of platforming, which is not this game's strength. I know you're going through the log. You're jumping into the water. Uh, you finally see some. Cynthia uh, Wheeler, like her paint, We you shine, Do you see some of that uh, reflective paint? Do you? you have the... Yeah, there's it, like an arrow that tells you to jump in the water. Yeah.
2: Like my next notes, also not complimentary. It just says uh, "fuck the Ferris wheel," um, <laughs> which I think sums up pretty much what Lance is saying. Pretty, oh yeah, what the yeah, fuck
1: was up well. with the Ferris wheel,
2: dude? It is. I wanted to. F- I'd forgotten how much I hated that when it initially came out. God fucking damn it. That thing's so. ooh, it's very um, bad.
1: I'm remembering it now and now I'm remembering Yeah, Do you yeah. know there's a trophy? There's an achievement for doing this whole episode without dying. Can you imagine? Can you imagine oh, trying to do the Ferris wheel without falling?
8: <laughs> I, oh, uh, I was, like, I'm not, you not ashamed died. to admit that I brought difficulty down.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. This, I, the, I played this one on easy. Bringing the difficulty down doesn't help you when you try to jump and you just fall because it's not a freaking <laughs> platformer. it does not help like running on logs oh yeah it's Uh, very
1: bad it's terrible the jumping is is awful
0: well
2: not even the jumping part man like there's sections where like you've got like a rock and then there's like a wooden bridge that you're trying to run over but there's like enough of a gap there that as soon as you hit it you just fall through the fucking ground and then you fall forever and you're like doing this weird like running and placing and then you die like
1: it listen (sighs) the darkness is oppressive and alan is fighting himself (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, I didn't think I could hate the darkness any more than I do now, revisiting this this <laughs> portion of the game.
2: I mean, like, it's kind of cool because it's like replaying certain things from the game itself. Like, there's some like aesthetic elements to it um, that are kind of, you know, you can appreciate. You run through the well-lit room again, or you have like the giant fuck-off typewriter, which is like, you know, kind of cool. It spells out. Did you guys topics. find
1: the typewriter? Did you find the typewriter underneath the, underneath the like, the huge one that you step on? And he talks about it. It's like his creative space.
0: Oh, I no, that I sound... that. no, I didn't find that. Oh, man.
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally derail the podcast for two seconds while I look for the <laughs> screenshot that I took of it. I apologize to you, Lance, for having to edit this.
0: No, can it's you, like, fine. Some I know there was uh, from,
2: uh, Walking Dead, maybe?
0: Oh, no, it's fine. No, there were some... Uh, as you're going through this, there were the giant typewriter keys. I know you can walk over W-A-K-E. Um, I think even an A for Awake. Which you guys think blew my mind. In episode, the first episode we we recorded. <laughs> uh, so How there nice. were some cool visual parts in this. You're going through the police station. Uh, there are some neat things, but yeah, just the the platforming in general really, man, really bugged me. And I do have a note We end up at Stucky's gas station. I think that's kind of like where we exit this. Um, which is which is cool because you haven't been there since the first episode where you ended. It's Ducky's guess. I'm going to
1: post this. I'm going to post this real quick. I'm sorry.
0: Okay, no problem. But
1: it, it, but it's actually worth talking about, and I forgot that it existed until until just now. Uh, there's also one quote from the from opening the salad door for February where someone says there are 65 billion cows and pigs in the world, which I thought was an excellent enemy quote.
0: What the hell? <laughs> so, so, where was this? I, I'm for everyone. will we'll post pictures in the Reddit for this, but we're going through a, a large typewriter.
1: Uh, so it was like you go across the um, the airplane and then you mm-hmm. j- jump down and then if, instead of going right, which is the direction it tells you to go, if you go straight into the left, there's like a path between these two trees and then it brings you down around and then you end up in in this uh, creative area with where it, with a huge typewriter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought the, the writing was actually really interesting um, in this part.
0: Uh, do you want to read it, or do you want me to read it? Uh, if you want to read it, uh, feel free. Sure. Uh, so, uh, the words on the paper were secret messages, communiques directly from his subconscious, or so they claimed. But there was uh, nothing real waiting to be discovered here. No great facts to be unearthed. And yet, in that very absence of substance, or at least the description of it, was hidden a core of simple, literal truth. The words were correct. And yet there was no real meaning beyond semantic games, just an endless string of nonsense masquerading as prose, a torrent of forgettable filler text that piqued the curiosity, but explained nothing. Sounds like you found a meaningless Easter egg. <laughs> At least that's the way I take that language.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it, the, the, it's so interesting because it's his own subconscious where he's like dealing with the, with the idea that just like, oh, like he's a writer and like this yeah. is this is what he does and this is like his subconscious just being like his subconscious um it's entirely self-indulgent which i think any story about writers end up being
7: yeah i mean they control
0: the narrative right <laughs> uh, so ben while you while you were looking for that i said uh, we ended up after the whole platforming area uh, we ended up at, at stucky's garage and uh, we do have a out of that, but I just thought it was neat going back to revisiting that since we hadn't been there since uh, the first episode of the game.
1: Yeah, we had not we had not returned to Stuckey's uh, gas station since yeah. since then.
0: And as you're moving forward, uh, we come across like a bridge, and it's, uh, we have another good clip from uh, from Mr. Zane himself.
5: The part of you that is in control is in the cabin dreaming and insane I don't think I like that you represent the part of Alan Wake that is capable of rational thought and planning which is why I'm talking to you if that part can regain control then you have a chance of making it but a part of you wants to give in there's comfort in the oblivion of dreams you represent the part that isn't ready to quit and die wait are you telling me I'm not real You're as real as anything else in this place.
3: So there are two of me? Yes. And the one you called Mr. Scratch, he's me as well? No. Zane, are you playing some kind of game with me?
5: I am not the author of your story.
3: How can you say that when you wrote that page about me and the clicker? It wasn't one of my pages. You directed me to it. You had Weaver
5: guard it. Yes, she was needed. And you needed the clicker. But I'm not.
3: What? I don't understand. Alan,
5: you should keep going.
3: Zane? Zane, come on! Well, that cleared things up.
1: I love that conversation so much for so many different <laughs> reasons. It's sort of like a dialogue with, um if you think about this Alan, the Alan that's capable of rational thought, not the Alan that's going crazy. Uh, as a distinct entity he's he's almost a stand-in for the player in the sense that he's asking the questions that we're, we've we been asking since the end of the game uh and of course he's getting literally no help in deciphering any of it because where's the fun in that
0: well it seems he almost catches zane with like a logical issue <laughs> like, Hey, well you were at the clicker as i well like, waves the hand just keep going that's what you have to do. Stop <laughs> It's also like the only What's that time you, over there. Like it, it's like the only <laughs> time
1: you hear him sound um like unsure or yeah. or sort of outside of the, the normal tone of his voice. He's kind of like, well, well, yeah, but it's yeah. not important. <laughs> Keep going.
2: And this is another part that like really makes me question the motives of Thomas Zane, right? And again, like I'm probably reading way too much into this, just like everything in this goddamn game. But Like The fact that he didn't have a prepared answer, because he's been like, you know, that kind of like Gandalf character guiding you throughout, like, you know, the mysteries of the dark place and how the dark presence works. And you might make sure the pages end up in your path just so you can find them just when you need them. This is the first time that you realize that he's kind of fallible. Aside from, like, you know, essentially him fucking everything up with Barbara Jagger back in the 70s. Like, but, you know, he's learned since then. He's become like, you know, Thomas Zane the White versus Thomas Zane the Gray. But this is the first time that he is not prepared. To give you direction with what you're doing, where you're going, he doesn't have an answer prepared, which makes me think that he wasn't expecting the question, which makes me think that he does have ulterior motives. He just doesn't expect to be questioned. I don't know. Don't trust Thomas Zane. Ah
8: <laughs> What do you think, Michael? You look like you're formulating a, a thought? I mean, I just think I just think that it's it's one of those things it, it's very dreamlike where you're having a conversation and when you come up with something that's truly spontaneous i don't think that you always have the best answer um so either Zane is a real person and he just didn't have a good answer he was just like well you know like it was it was needed i'm not i like i'm not sure what you want from me or it is kind of like that dream logic where you're saying to yourself oh this is you're starting to make too much sense like we need to like this back a little bit because we can't go that way we need to you know we need to continue on this path
1: well yeah i mean it almost made him seem more trustworthy to me when i was playing it because it's like uh he's acting in a role in a story that alan's telling and until you ask him sort of a question that makes him think about it too long it's kind of like the guy you run into who read his own pages and it like freaked him out It's like if you start to think about your role in the story and sort of who's in charge and who's calling the shots here and why things are happening the way they're happening, it starts to get very confusing and you can sort of lose sight of your goal, which seems to be like a dangerous thing in in the dark place. So it, it took him aback when Alan asked this question, but I think it was almost it humanized him more for me because he's acting in a role and he's kind of like, well, yeah, wait, well, you needed that. Uh, sort of in the same way that we have a conversation about it, where he's like, "Well, you needed the clicker, so I gave you the clicker, but I don't know where it I don't know where it came from." If we think about it, it's going to get very confusing.
8: It also slightly reminded me of uh, the movie Looper when um, Bruce Willis sits down with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt asks him the question, "Well, you know, how does how does this work? Like, how are we having this conversation?" Um, alluding to time travel, because the whole movie is about time travel. And Bruce Willis just says, "Listen, we're not going to talk about this because all we're going to do is talk in loops, and none of it's going to make sense. We're both going to be none the wiser for it." Basically, I don't, I don't remember exactly. I haven't seen a movie in a while, but it does remind me of that similar situation where he's just kind of like, like I, I feel like he kind of gets to that point where he's like, "Oh, like we can talk about paradoxes, but like, it's what, what are we doing then? Like, we're just wasting time. Like, there's no, like, we're better off now than we would be talking about them." You know, ten minutes from now, like I, I feel like there's a little bit of exasperation there, where he's just like, "You should be past this." Like we we needed that, so we got it.
1: Um, a and couple of other interesting version. things about the conversation.
0: Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I to say it's much uh, much smarter version than the End Game, Avengers End Game of like just time travel. Don't think about it. Why are you still thinking about time travel? It's <laughs> it. It's work. No, it's work. Yeah. it makes no sense. Always makes no sense. stop thinking about time travel, man time travel looper
8: Looper is a fun movie It's not have great time travel (laughs) (laughs) um
1: but like two other things i really liked about that conversation it talks about uh sort of alan's own mental well-being where at the i think it was near the beginning of this episode he says that after he finished departure which is the story that he wrote to save alice uh he was ready to give up like he sort of felt like he had done what he needed to do and and part of him uh sort of gave himself into the darkness because like he was like well that was what i was trying to do and like i'm i have a lot of self-loathing because i'm alan wake and i'm like you know i have a lot of uh, internal issues uh so he it sort of addressed the fact that like he's trying to fight himself to get out of his own you know mind but there's also a part of him that's kind of like no just like let it happen like you're not super happy and, like, this is, you know, bad stuff that's happening to you and you think, like, maybe you deserve it or or it's not worth fighting because you saved Alice and that was the only thing you wanted to do.
0: Well, he also points out that Mr. Scratch is not one of the two people he's talking about, which means Mr. Scratch is real. He's not in Alan's head. So you have the rational part of Alan and then kind of the one who wants to give up, is, uh, to your point, Ben. and, maybe yeah, and then you have Tom the third, is, which is... I was going to say, maybe I, that's why Tom yeah. remains in here pushing you, because he's like, you're the one who regain control. If you give up, I'm gone too.
2: Like Another thing that makes me question Thomas Zane's like motives here, right, is that he's the one that introduced you to Mr. Scratch, essentially, in the, in the beginning. When he's like, oh, what's that? He's like, oh, don't worry about it. Meh. But you should absolutely fucking worry about it, because Mr. Scratch <laughs> is like a terrible homicidal maniac. And so the fact that Thomas Zane knows more about Mr. Scratch, and that Mr. Scratch is a big enough threat to Alan Wake and Alice Wake as well, which is talked about in American Nightmare, which we will hopefully do at some point if I can convince Ben. Um, but like, it's super fucking shady that he introduces his character that you absolutely need to worry about. And he's like, hey, just, just don't mind him. Don't mind him. You're good. You're good. And then we're like, well, what about Mr. Scratch? And he's like, oh, no, he's something different. So Thomas Zane fully knows more than what he's telling you here. It's never explained in any kind of satisfactory setting at all even in american nightmare spoiler alert for eight year old random fucking xbox live arcade thing um so it's it's like for me it's super fucking shady i'm swearing a lot i apologize if you're listening with children just avert their ears or have them hum to themselves i don't know how that works but it's just another thing that like just this episode just does so much to make me question what tomazoon's motives are why he's doing what he's doing, and like the ultimate question for me is like, is he even human anymore? He may have started off that way, but like after enough time in the dark place, he's been here for, at this point, what like forty years? Like, has he become something other? Like, I don't know. Questions.
8: Um, yeah, I I I was gonna also mention I I do like Lance's interpretation of of Mister Scratch. I think that there's also something to say just to muddy the waters even further. Um, it could just be a philosophical uh, question where he's just saying, don't worry about t- Mr. Scratch. He's not you in like the idea that uh, the you that, t- that Zane is trying to save in this moment is the Alan Wake that's in front of him. The, the small mm-hmm. Alan Wake who's hot, hidden and, and running around in the darkness and anything that is not part of that particular uh, ego or persona or whatever you want to call it is not Alan um by definition and so he's it could just be him saying hey don't worry about those other parts of you that are going to make you insane or going to turn you into a villain because if you do like we don't know what's going to happen um we want to make sure that you stay separate and you win this battle um that you're having with yourself
1: i mean mr scratch continues to be one of the biggest sort of questions that i think come out of comes out of the end of alan Wake. just sort of His role, uh, the the few times he's mentioned, uh, you know, the first time Thomas Angel says he's going to take your place when you're gone. Like, don't worry about it. Uh, And then sort of this time where he's like, well, he's not you. So also don't worry about it. (laughs) Uh, Just ignore it It, it, again. It sort of begs the question. Like, yeah, what is what is Mr. Scratch's role? Is he the uh, is he the dark, you know, doppelganger or whatever that comes out when Alan's in the Black Lodge? If we're going to use like Twin Peaks references, right? Um, is it just sort of like, is it is Mr. Scratch a character that just exists because Alan wrote the story that way? And it's just like, well, something had to happen, like we had to switch places or do this or whatever. Um I'm not I'm not sure uh uh Thomas knows what Mr. Scratch is. I think he just knows that he's there and he's not Alan. And not
7: to worry about it, you know, things will be fine.
0: Nothing to see here.
1: It's such a terse answer he gives too. He's just like, no. It's like, is <laughs> right? M- what is Mister Scratch in me? He's like, no. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> C- can you elaborate? Maybe like, <laughs> goddamn.
0: How- he throws him off about the clicker, some bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but talk about Zane little But there is something here we see which we've never seen from Zane before, and maybe to your point, more interact with the darkness. He actually moves a log that gives you a bridge, which is. I don't think we ever saw Zane really interact with the world in that capacity, um, but then he says some some interesting stuff uh, after that. How the hell are you doing that?
5: It's like learning to control your dreams. There's a connection. You were in my dream. Yes, I taught you. You fixed the foolish mistake I made with Barbara.
0: Uh, so yeah, so he moved the log, and he mentioned something about him. Foolish mistake uh, he made with Barbara. I don't really, I mean, I don't know if that's something new that maybe they didn't describe in the darkness or just him, you know, his initial, you know, fall into the darkness with Barbara.
2: Like, my take on that is that he's referencing trying to bring Barbara back. Like, after she fell Mm -hmm. into the lake, she drowned. Uh, We hear this in the song uh, The Poet and the Muse by Old Guards of Asgard. Um, about how she fell into the lake and drowned. And so he wrote her back using the powers of the lake. But when she came back, she was different. Like, the darkness had come up with her. It was like, she had become a vessel for the darkness, and so she came back changed and different. And I'm pretty sure that that's a mistake that's being referenced here, as well as, like, the seed for a lot of my doubt as to whether Thomas A is still human or not. Yeah, before I talk about that, it's fine, it's fine. But so that that, I think, is what the reference here is.
1: Like Stephen King says, sometimes dead is better.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the new movie was so bad.
1: (laughs) Oh, it was terrible. I hated it.
8: (laughs) I'm glad I haven't watched it. Uh,
1: But no. So yeah, you're, you know, Adam's right on point there. Like uh, sort of it's referenced a couple of times that uh, Thomas Zane brought Barbara back, but he didn't write a good story. And like the darkness takes advantage of the parts that you sort of leave in the margins um So she came yes. back, but she was she was different, and that's the whole thing that Alan was trying to es- to escape for Alice. Alice's fate was he needs to write a story that's good enough and covers enough sort of plot holes or you know whatever to make sure that there's no uh it's airtight, like the darkness can't get out through the
8: story that Alan writes. I mean, do you think that he succeeds in that because it doesn't feel like it? I mean, what whose fate whose fate's better? Is it is Thomas Zane's fate better or is Alan wakes
1: uh, I think Alan succeeded in what he was trying to do which was save Alice um, he didn't write a story to save himself he wrote a story to save his wife and she made it out at the end um, you know whether or not that's sort of you know a happy ending is up <laughs> to interpret it. it doesn't seem like it it sort of seems like this is what happens you know at the end of that for anyone who's not Alice Um but, you know, like he says, I think when he when you're finishing up the the original game, it's like the, it's a horror story, like bad things are going to happen and sort of like these are the bad things that happen. And he wrote, you know, the most true story that he could, which is why you end up with like some people on the side who still get hurt, like uh, Rose is still, you know, sort of touched by the darkness and and we don't know what's going on with the FBI agent.
2: I mean, yeah, the way I kind of view it is like he wrote a happy ending for as many people as he could while still accepting that there has to be loss, right? I mean, like, Stephen King is a perfect example of this. You read it, and child orgy in the sewers aside does not end well for a lot of the characters. You know, like, there's death. People die. (laughs) There are consequences to actions. Ignore the child orgy. (laughs) That never should have happened. Damn you, Stephen King. I love you. Yeah, Uh, I'm like,
0: I I never uh... read the (laughs) book. This didn't make it Oh, the uh, movie, spoiler so. alert for a
2: 30-year-old book. Uh, a bunch yeah. of kids have sex in the sewers. It's really spoiler uncomfortable Spoiler alert. Read, and yes. I don't like it.
8: Stephen King did a lot of
0: cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it a confused look. I didn't yeah. really mean repeat it again in more detail. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just pull out my copy and read some passages. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God.
2: Actually, I can do that if you want. It's just right over my shelf. No! no, um, no. <laughs> but... But the the point that I'm trying to make is that like there's always going to be casualties. Any kind of human story, there's going to be something lost along the way, especially when it comes to horror. like There's always a price to be paid. And Alan Wake establishes mm-hmm. that pretty early on, that the story has to be true to the characters. As soon as you try and alter that, as soon as you try and make the story fit your own ends, whatever you, direction you want it to go, that's when it becomes something different, that's when it falls apart, and that's the mistake that Thomas Zane also kind of made. Is that he was trying to write that happy ending story where he just got everything that he wanted, plus his girlfriend back, and that's what kind of fucked everything up and led to the dark presence and having Barbara Jagger coming back, trying to take over the world, and the whole thing is going to just like burn in hell. More or less, I feel like that's kind of what's being talked about here, and uh, I mean it's, it's it's pretty realistic to have it so that some people are still touched. You know, like Rose definitely got kind of screwed over here, but she's also the new lamp lady which is honestly probably worse for her at that point I think. Uh Nightingale his role is still like very interesting because he's like almost a new face to the darkness but it's still like very unclear. Again, so much stuff that is just not talked about that really should have been. I'm ranting at this point. I'm going to stop talking. Okay, you guys go.
0: No, it's fine. Um <laughs> the uh after this you're going I'm you know, I was just more of this platforming combat stuff. You go across the bridge and there's just birds everywhere. There's birds everywhere. It's just a pain in the ass. It's the best it's the
1: best enemy. Everybody loves the birds.
0: Oh man.
8: Listen, I prefer birds over objects. So are they birds (laughs) or are they books? I think they're books. I think books was the signal, wasn't it? Or no books one, isn't it? Was books? I think they're both both books in both games.
1: Whatever they were, they're terrible and I hate them.
0: All I know of worse enemy is actually the running you have to do after. This is where you're on those platforms with the chains. You're trying to run up the hill. And I fell on those things like four times.
1: Yeah. Again, sort of when, when Alan Wake dips outside of it's it's for the most part, like I think the combat in Alan Wake is very enjoyable when you're on the ground, but when it deviates from sort of the things that it's very good at, which is moody walking around in the forest and then, you know, dodging people's axe swings while you try to run to the next flashlight—like it, it really falls flat on its face. Um, the cars handle terribly. I think there's a, probably a car you drive in this, if I remember correctly, um, in the CLC. Uh, you know, anytime you're jumping between things, like I don't know what's—I don't know what's going on—but it was not. They did not need that.
0: Yeah, but at least there's a good reward at the end of this one. Uh, this one, after you're done, you go through a door. It looks like you're back in the uh, Cauldron Lake Lodge. Um, and you get this cool discussion with Emil and Alan, like the crazy Alan, because he's got the TV on, his head. And uh, let's, run, let's run through that. Let's
6: not Since we're being so frank here, Alan, and let me just reiterate how happy I am that you've had this breakthrough, I would like to summarize your condition. By all means. And please, just let me know if you think I'm being unfair. (laughs) All right. Well, let's start with the obvious. The car crash. Untreated head trauma. All due respect to Doc Nelson, but he's hardly a neurosurgeon. I think that the injury has affected you more than you realize. (laughs) Yeah, I have had bad headaches. Then there's your history of substance abuse, which, combined with your chronic insomnia, has resulted in hallucinations and extremely poor impulse control. That's a dangerous combination, one which your wife has unfortunately had to suffer from far more than you. I know. I know she has. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that you are existing in a state of all-encompassing denial. Your vivid fantasy casts you as a heroic victim and allows you to skirt responsibility for your own actions. It allows you to solve your imaginary problems and dismiss the things that truly trouble you. In your self-serving delusions, your personal problems are assets that allow you to save Alice, perhaps even the world.
3: Dr. Hartman, I. I think that's spot on. I can't argue with any of that.
6: Well, I'm sure I'm stating the obvious. I don't want to labor the point, but, well, um...
3: No, no. I understand. It's important that I face it.
6: Precisely, Alan. You've put so much effort and imagination into this self-deception, but what good has it really done for you? You refused my offer of help, and here you are. Did being so obdurate really get you to a better place? No. No. And did it really help Alice? Was this really the best thing for your wife? Probably not. Probably not. Why don't we find out? You know, I've been talking with her. There's something she wanted you to hear. Oh, hey, that sounds like fun. All I ever
3: wanted was to help you, Alan. I ate all the shit you handed out and tried to understand your pathetic, wealthy, white male drama until my life consisted of managing your never-ending crisis. I hate you for your childish temper and the arrogance and self-indulgent pride that undermine all efforts to drag you out of the hole you insisted on digging for yourself. I hate you for leaving me in the dark with that insane monster bitch! All you had to do was act like a loving human being for once in your life and stay with me. If your traumatic exit hadn't been more important than making sure I was all right, she would never have taken me. I don't know where you went, but that's okay. I don't want to know. I don't think I'll ever be all right. The only thing that keeps me from killing myself is the hope that I'll never see you again.
6: Ouch. I...
3: I just can't argue with that. I think I should stay here before I
6: ruin what life she has left. I think this is a breakthrough, Alan. I'm really very proud of you.
3: It was nonsense. I knew I'd saved her. I'd succeeded in that. And that was all that mattered. What I heard in there wasn't the truth. It was just another toxic mirage. It cut deep, but that made me all the more determined to force myself to snap out of it. I didn't want to be that guy anymore. I had to make myself see the light.
0: So I thought that was a. it was like a long sequence to watch it all, but I thought it was really cool. It was definitely kind of... If you think the darkness projecting to the Alan that wanted to give up, and you know telling him essentially all of his ideas and everything there was like bullshit, having the voicemail from Alice that was, look, this is all your fault. You never saved me. You know wherever you are, I hope you stay there. And him just kind of giving up and accepting that everything that Hartman said, like when we, Hartman you know gave a theory, he's like, oh, that's exactly it. I could. You're a genius. I can't, I can't can't argue with any of that, which. Alan always argued against with uh, with Hartman said, and even that Hartman voice was much more robotic, almost like a machine playing it back than um, than the, the the Hartman sounds in the game. So I thought that was I thought that was a really fun piece of dialogue, and just showing the trauma and the thought that the darkness is putting on uh, the other Alan in his mind.
8: I also thought I mean I thought that it was an interesting tone. a conversation just in in general um because everything everything in it has to echo like real life like he said it cuts deep so like there were there's definitely like a lot of truth in in what what she says so i think that this illustrates you know their deteriorating relationship kind of the whole reason he went he ended up out in this island in the first place and and reason why she talked to dr hartman um and so I think I think that it's it's a really illustrative kind of uh, just example of like of what was was actually going on. Um, I mean it's also I mean it's just it's a really good character moment. I don't think that we hear that voice actress um kind of be able to to emote as as much as she does there um throughout the game. I just, I thought that it was a, a really good moment um, of character. Uh, it's not something that we got to see as much of in, in the main game. Uh, and it was just nice nice to see that. Um, I think that Dr. Hartman, even the, with the robotic voice, also is a really cool uh, just opening. Uh, I know that we, we they make the, the comment, or we read the Reddit comment about uh, what's happening in the real world. Uh, and yeah, I think this is probably the closest we get to something that could be potentially mirrored. Uh, at least, like in a feeling, like this is kind of how Alan feels. The real world is is reacting um, in some in some aspect, uh, and yeah, I mean that's 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 my thought there.
0: After that, I w- you have a little more exploration, and uh, we have more Zane. Sorry for like you know pulling up so much Zane audio this episode, but he is you know he's such a big part. He's kind of explaining the world. I think it's important that we kind of. We hear that and we kind of talk about it. Well done. You have come far, but there's still a little further to go.
5: You must take full control of your own mind. Reject all of the fantasies you have constructed.
3: Yeah, well, I think I can do that. A lot of the stuff I've seen here is personal and ugly as hell. I'll admit it hurts, but it's not fooling me. I know it's fake.
5: Good. You are aware. The part of you bent on self-destruction is not, but you must be careful. Just because you know the lies for what they are, that doesn't make the danger any less real. I'll make it.
3: I don't have any choice.
5: Here, I cannot come any further,
0: but this will help you on your way. Thanks, I guess.
1: And that's the last we see of Thomas Zane.
0: He's, uh, you know, giving Alan's last piece of advice, but, um. You know, he makes it clear that you know you've started rejecting these fantasies, even though the Alan saying kind of they've been hurt and they've been real. But yeah, to Ben's point, this is the last we have of Thomas Zane.
8: Yeah, I I, I do think um, I mean back to just the normal Thomas Zane talk. Uh, he's, I mean, he says this is the closest I can come. Uh, we we are consistently seeing Thomas Zane in, in this suit. You know, we don't really see a face on him. Um, and, and we hear his voice always kind of in the, in the, in the rebreather. Um, it makes you wonder like what is preventing him from getting closer? Cause it does seem like, I mean, this is the only sort of remote communication I think we see in, um, in Alan Wake. Uh, and I think that without Thomas saying, specifically consistently saying that he's not physically there, um, you would think that he was uh, considering the rest of the game and kind of how everything else has worked up until this point. Um, so i'm just kind of interested what you guys think of like why he's not there or or what is preventing him
1: uh i think it's mentioned earlier on in the game but there is a moment where he i don't know if it's i don't remember which episode it is but he enters the cabin and sort of fills it with light and that's sort of what allows alan to escape um and alan says something along the lines of like i'm not sure what zane did but like he hurt the darkness Uh, But whatever he did there, I think is preventing him from sort of whatever weakness that he took advantage of with the darkness. It was sort of like, here's my last shot to like get in there and get like a punch in or whatever. Um, And this is like as much as he can do now because he's either weakened or the darkness is more, uh, you know, strong against whatever sort of influence Zane has because that was like his last ditch uh, effort to help Alan.
2: No, I think Ben is exactly right. Um, it's like, you know, Dragon Ball Z, throw all your energy into one last spirit bomb, and once it's gone, you're just like, ah, drained. That's Tom and Zane in this case. Like, that moment where he came in to rescue Alan for that brief moment, to allow Alan to do what he had to do, like, completely weaken him, and he just doesn't have the strength. Or he's working against you the entire time!
0: <laughs> well, uh, those, as, as, a di- as a different thought to that, um, I wonder if there's any fear, and maybe this is kind of you know just digging a little too deep. If he gets closer, maybe the other Alan can sense him or see him, and if he wants to give up, he has the ability to write Thomas Zane out. Be like, you were out of the memory. If you were if you're controlling it too. So he's like, This is as far as I can go. There's enough risk of me getting closer. Um, because this point you're close to the lighthouse. Um, of you know, what happens if the other Alan saw Thomas Zane? Right now, that Alan is in the darkness, talking to Emil, just buying into everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's an excellent point and like a really interesting sort of idea because it's not something that the game explicitly mentions, but it is like uh, very interesting to sort of think of sort of uh, how Thomas Zane is approaching this, and and he is very clear in the fact that he's speaking to the rational side of Alan. Uh, but the other side of Alan, like like you said, like still has that power. So there's probably yeah, there's probably a, a decent risk, um, just from what we know about the darkness. That uh, if Thomas Zane made the wrong move, like he could very easily find himself on the wrong end of of a very raw deal.
0: Mm-hmm. And and after this, you're, you're traversing a little bit more. You do get a memory with Alice. And I thought that was interesting because she she shed some light about how Alan thinks. And it could be more of one of the realistic memories.
6: Hey, let me tell you something, Alan. I know how your mind works. You screw up, then you start analyzing it, and before you know
3: it, you start writing all these horror stories in your head. Don't you? Come on, I don't do that.
0: (laughs) Yes, you do. I know how it goes. You're a complete failure. I hate you, and I'll never forgive you for whatever it was that you did. Am I wrong?
3: Oh, man. See, I know you. But, Alan, it's all in your head. It is. I love you, and I'm not
7: going anywhere.
0: So there you go. That was in contrast to the earlier voicemail with where She's like, this is all your fault. Hope you stay in the darkness or wherever you are. Uh, this one, it's playful. I think it explains a lot about Alan and how he gets in his own head, how he has those negative thoughts. Anyone else have any thoughts on that one?
8: I mean, it would explain a lot of, of everything else going on. Um, mm-hmm. Alan is, is pretty self-deprecating, so that causes a lot of these issues that we pl- have to play through.
2: Well, I think it also kind of ties into the uh, the idea that Alice is Alan's muse, which he states pretty early on. Um, is that she's able to help kind of like cut through the bullshit of his own head and help him get kind of centered. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Alice Wake's initials are also awake, right? Like, same thing with Alan. I think that she helps wake him up to just go full on with the wordplay.
0: From... Did it to me again. A lot of... (laughs) Did it to me again, another awake!
2: (laughs) (laughs) Like, she really does, like, kind of wake him up from a lot of this. Like, everything that he does throughout the entire game is all for her. Like, even though he starts off as, like, a petulant man-child, you know, like, throwing a fit and running out into the darkness because she knows that she won't follow him. Like, she really does help cut through that darkness to help get him back on track and to help kind of, like, pull him back to himself. And so I think this is really kind of helps reestablish that all the kind of clues we've been given make it seem like they have a very unhealthy relationship up until this point. But this kind of, like, shows the more playful side, the more compassionate side for both of them, I think. And so I, I feel like this helps kind of clarify how the relationship actually was, which you just really don't get in the main game.
1: Yeah, I mean, Alan's such a such a unreliable narrator in the sense that uh, his outlook is so pessimistic that most of the and like most of the drama in the game comes from sort of how poor his relationship with his wife seemed to be at moments. Uh, it's always good to get a reminder that like they were happy, uh, like they are happy, like there's a reason why they're together. Um, and this, I think, is just one of those memories that, and it, it being like the last memory, I think that you unlock sort of. Uh, before proceeding to the end. Uh, kind of really gives him a, a kick in the pants to remember like you know, something good and help him face face himself. Also, I do not believe that you did not pick up on the a wake thing with Alice.
0: I 100 percent did not. I, I don't believe that for a second. You're like this again? I was like, man. Was like right in front of me. I, I, Where I'm were you? Like, to, <laughs> The, the the whole
1: thing my my personal theory and i'm 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 still shocked that it didn't happen is that we were going to get an alan wake two, but it was going to be alice wake it was just gonna be called a wake two
0: it was gonna be you're gonna play as alice and then you save alan and it didn't happen <laughs> there's still time but also like i look i don't bullshit you the first time you guys said about alan it blew my you like there were shirts about this i'm like no way What's happening? I never <laughs> even thought about that. Even the, the commercials, Alex. I'm pretty sure, like, were like,
2: are it? you awake? The whole marketing campaign. Can you imagine yeah, taking photos it.
1: and they changed reality? It would have been so
0: good. This is why <laughs> I, I have you guys here. <laughs> this is literally why I have you here. Help me understand this <laughs> things. This whole podcast is a way for you guys to explain this complicated game to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so after this memory, you go to the uh, the, the lighthouse. You work your way up, you exit the top of the lighthouse, and you exit to Diver's Isle and Birdleg Cabin. Um, As you're crossing, Barry is kind of taunting you a little bit. Uh, The bridges over there go all over the place. Uh, It's definitely uh, a maze or some sort of craziness, maybe trying to stop you from going over there. Um, Then you have kind of the, the last battle. You start off fighting Emil, and you fight Odin and Tor Anderson. Uh, then you fight Barry, and there's birds, of course, there's birds or books. Listen, I don't even know. I just get angry whenever I hear the noise.
1: <laughs> Alan Wake does not do boss fights well, like it doesn't. And this is probably yeah. the 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 biggest letdown of the entire like DLC area is just like this awful, annoying, repetitive boss fight against these super like they're they're modeled after the really fast taken who are already like a pain in the ass to get because they like and then they run away um (laughs) but then you have to do like six of them and it's like uh, like yes we get the symbolism it's all of alan's friends and they're all saying deprecating things about him like oh you're not worth anything alan you're a terrible friend you're not a cool guy like you're not a super cool guy (laughs) 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 i just want to be a cool guy (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> it cuts to the bone that's so hurtful, so like yeah, it's a,
1: it's a terrible it's a it's a terrible. I'm not gonna say it's a stupid boss fight, but it's kind of a stupid boss fight
8: I mean, it's funny too because the the main boss fight of the of the main game um is just walk up and and shoot the flare gun a few times. like there isn't any like real like interaction beyond that. It's just like here now it's over. Um, I would have so. preferred
1: that this this went way too long yeah it took a super I mean, long like, time you have to shoot barry first, like 17 times
2: which is painful like,
1: I like doesn't barry he so die much. like six times before he actually dies like you you kill him and three, then he comes back and then you kill him again generally. and then he comes back again and there's just like a fucking pile of flashbangs or whatever right next to you so like you're not gonna run out of ammo you're not gonna run out of anything yeah.
2: Like you're just annoyed by the birds and you have to do it over and over. And I feel bad because I like Barry. I don't want to shoot Barry in the face. And yeah, I but will. Barry's like I yelling at you to.
1: and he's he's being like, Al, you're a terrible
0: client.
2: <laughs> well me, like her, he kind of He's right. I mean Barry is not. I wrong love with your that.
0: Barry voice, Ben. <laughs> love it.
1: <laughs> I waited until just now to dip into it. I know you've been
0: holding you've out been on. You've been holding
1: us.
2: that back this entire time. We should.
1: Well, maybe we'll go back and re-record <laughs> episode one, and I'll dip into it a little bit more.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we, we probably should at some point. Uh
0: just the I mean, like commentary. going
2: on to the boss fight thing, you're absolutely right. Like the first time that you like when you fight Stucky in the woods, it's fucking creepy. He's like the goddamn predator jumping around from log pile to log pile. It's like really effectively done, but that's it, pretty much. Like every other boss fight from there oh. on out it's like move to this point shoot flashbangs or flare gun i liked um i liked there. the
1: ranger i liked the ranger that, or the the police officer that you fought at the at the station because that was like that was after like, a creepy cutscene and stuff
2: well it's only satisfying because he killed a dog and so of course he has to die <laughs> like you like this full john wick on him and just murder the guy because he killed that goddamn was, dog
1: but i mean like but, how else could they have ended it i guess
0: that's also yeah, like yeah, at the beginning part, of the episode yeah. for that one but like it, how, it But I mean like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like you're up in, you're up in your head. Like you we we know everything. The curtain's been lifted for the most part about like kind of where you're at. Like it's we know Barry's fake. We know Emil is fake. We know that the Anderson brothers aren't real at that point. So but maybe that's almost the point.
1: If you want to, if you want to give it an extremely charitable reading, you could say that's kind of the point: is that now you're fighting these sort of these last-ditch efforts of the darkness to keep Alan away from waking himself up, uh, and it's just kind of lame. It's like a very lame attempt by the darkness to just be like, "No, remember, like you're bad. No, really, you're bad. No, please don't come into the. (laughs) Don't please don't come in here. You're really bad. Remember that. And it's just like it's pathetic. You're pathetic. Just hang it up. Just go home. Just let me end the game.
8: I think the uh, you asked like what. What would be like the interesting way or or how else would you end it? I think that the interesting way to end this would have been you're doing this fight or, or you're getting into a fight like this, but it swaps to like the diner or to the cabin. And then it's just Alan hitting and shooting at another Alan. And and when you do the light, it's blood. and and it just like flips over there and then it's just like oh wait is this real like is this me killing myself if do i am i winning the game do i kill myself like can you have that question for a split (laughs) second um which i think would be kind of a cool way to end this game
0: and you know what's interesting now that we're talking about the boss fight and you know what could be worse kind of like the most debilitating character to to alan is alice you without having her as like this end of boss fight maybe had more interesting dialogue or more interesting yeah. implications for his like psychology of it and i don't know if it's a um barry yeah barry a, wasn't
8: ever really an antagonist uh towards alan's yeah. like i mean i guess he was as far as his growth because barry's an enabler but um, beyond that yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, alan fighting alan of- would have been very cool
2: Honestly, I think Lance is on or something though. Like Alan fighting like the angry Alice from the voicemail between the conversation between him and Hartman with like T V head. Alan which made me think of Saga, which just makes me sad for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Um would have been a far more interesting take on that. Like having this like kind of notion of Alice that you know that she doesn't love him, that she doesn't, you know, care about him, that he's just a piece of shit, and that she hates him, wants him to die, and then she actually comes out to try and kill that would have been a far more interesting uh, take just for like the emotional kind of impact that it would have
0: Well, and to that point it's not just her coming on him he has to attack her right he's the, she's been the muse he's gave himself up for her so if there was a fact that he had to attack her that would have been kind of at least more emotional for me as a player as well it's like, like now I'm more confused than before <laughs> so regardless you know, the boss fight is over and we hit our, our final cutscene and I'll, I'll play that we can discuss it after
5: where am I? Why is this happening to me? It's too dark.
3: Where am I? I keep on my way. Why is this happening to me? I can my way. It's too dark. Why? Why is this happening to me? Just like that, my mind was clear. Zane had been right. I could think clearly again. But I couldn't survive in this place the way he had, and I might not make it back a second time. Leaving this place would be hard. Maybe impossible. It wouldn't take much for my thoughts to stray again. It was too easy to get lost in the dark place. Before, I was ready to curl up and die. Let myself slip away. But here I was. The yet unwritten future waiting to unfold before me. A sequel to Departure. My name is Alan Wake,
1: and I'm a
7: writer.
0: full circle. It comes full circle. I love it so much. Yeah, so Alan going into the cabin seeing the crazy Alan, like, touches him and then they become one. And he's self-aware. He goes on the typewriter and he starts typing out the return. Uh, Knows it's kind of going to take a lot of work to get get out, but what do you guys think?
1: Like, 10 years of work. Like, 10 or 12 years of work to get out. Probably
2: 14 at this point. Although there's... (laughs) Probably 14. Alliances. Dalliances, you know, like with American Nightmare and some things to control, which we I wish I could really go back about. and just
1: warn myself that it was going to be a long time before I ever saw more Alan.
2: Wake. Oh my god, so long!
0: We were all pretty sure Alan Wake Two is coming out soon. Oh, it's going to be on Windows Vista, <laughs> Microsoft <laughs> Xbox 360, 800 Microsoft
1: wow. points for the expansion. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, yeah so that's i mean look that is the writer i mean we've come up to the end of this we this is we've tackled the full allen weight game and and the dlc um so it's, uh, what are you guys the final takes on the writer So it's interesting to me
1: because when I think about sort of how I would wrap up my feelings on on the writer, it's actually more or less identical to my feelings on the end of the original game, which is that like the status quo really hasn't changed. And I don't feel like there's a lot more to elaborate on. Like you get more experience with Alan's time in the in the darkness, which I think is interesting. Uh, But my feelings like on, on a whole are more or less identical to the feelings I had at the end of the game, which is like. I'm really excited to see Alan find his way out of this one this week. Very exciting. Um, it's good. It was a it was a solid. I think sort of two expansions that came out. Um, I overall like I enjoyed them a fair bit. I thought they gave us a lot of interesting insight to Alan as a character and uh, more about the darkness and Thomas Zane and sort of like the the lore around that stuff.
2: Like it's a really cool setup for a sequel. That ideally would have happened within a couple of years after to answer all these questions that have been haunting me for my entire adult life. <laughs> um, like, they do a really good job of exactly like, kind of what Ben was saying. Like, just here's a dark place, here's how some of these rules kind of operate while you're there. And it just sets up like this very open ended thing that, you know, with what, 10 years worth of, you know, other remedy games have come out that you know i mean i don't want to spoil anything but like seriously it's been like fucking six years at this point like what am i spoiling like quantum break brings up some interesting questions that kind of like tie in a little bit uh, with the chalkboard that's all i'm gonna say on that if you know you know if you don't then play quantum break um,
1: maybe we'll talk about it eventually
2: eventually we should it'd be worth it anyway but like i'm i'm just bitter that it's Ten years later, and we still don't really have any definitive answers. If anything, there's more questions now, um, with everything that's happened in other things since then. But I mean, it, it's still, it the fact that I care this much about it speaks volumes about not just the writer expansion, but like the game as a whole. You know, it's a character mm-hmm. that I mean, we wouldn't be making this podcast if we didn't care about it. You know, so uh, kudos to them for making me angry for ten years. I guess, yeah good job remedy thank you
0: (laughs) well one thing you said about the the game that sticks out with me right and you know as i get older i realize some of my favorite games were the shorter ones and i feel like this game was just like a great length the episodes were like an an hour to an hour and a half The dlc was was shortened to the point even though i mean there were some pacing issues the story the story moved so i think that's why alan wick's so memorable for me it's not this like 80 hour like slog fest with grinding it is like you know story narrative you're in there you're moving. And I, you know, we started off. I think the podcast we're talking about this. It's one of our favorite games, as the group. Even though we've had this long break between this and uh, AWE uh, expansion, which we'll talk about for control at some point, um, it just sticks with me. I mean, it's one of those stories that it's cohesive. It's easy to go back and play. As much as we can complain about some of the controls, it still feels a lot of fun. So, yeah. yeah um...
8: that, Sorry, I uh, didn't mean to cut you off there. I oh, think that my my thoughts uh, are are a little a little different. Um, so for me, uh, with with Alan Wake, I never played the DLC. Um, I was not I was not impatiently expecting Alan Wake Two or any sort of continuation. I didn't Wake. follow. Yeah, Alice Alice Wake Wake I didn't follow <laughs> video game news. Um, I didn't. You know, I, I, so I, so I didn't have this like longing like, like the rest of everybody where I was like, oh, like there's this thing that I'm, I've missed. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, it, it's fun. I mean, for me, uh, Alan Wake was the first game that I think my wife watched me play all the way through. Um, and so, I mean, I mostly just remember that. I think that it was ahead of its time as far as the episodic content. Uh, it was really cool. Uh, I remember playing it and be like, I really like the way this is set up because I can I can say, hey, like, let's sit down and, and play an episode, you know, and there's a there's a clear start and a clear end. Um, and, it, you know, it isn't like, you know, sitting down and saying, like, I'm going to play some Skyrim and somebody wants to watch you play Skyrim and you just, you know, walk around a mountain for three hours and they're like, I don't understand why you play this game. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it's 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 a lot easier to to, I think, explain just as an idea um, cause it was, it's basically watching a, a thriller movie or, you know, science fiction. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've really liked looking back at it. Uh, it's first time playing the DLC, which was interesting. Um, I do think that it held up as far as like just everything. I mean, it still looks pretty good, uh, for a game. Like the controls are not, not that aged. I mean, there are a lot of other games that came out at the same time that, uh, I would hate to try to go back and play. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, this has been, this has been really fun. I'm excited to, uh, to keep talking about the future of other stuff.
1: Might I interest you in a spinoff that is not necessarily Canon that was released for Xbox live arcade. <laughs>
2: Which is still super fun and worth playing and has some interesting insights into some of the questions that I think have been raised throughout this podcast and absolutely worth uh, playing and talking
1: it's about. It's like, hey guys, Alan Wake didn't sell super well. Can we please reuse some assets and maybe make a game for for a Summer of Arcade and then maybe
2: maybe make a sequel to Alan Wake?
1: And we <laughs> see him a flannel
2: out. shirt and uh, it'll be more relatable, you know?
1: <laughs> it'll be great. He's the everyman. <laughs> no more no more elbow patches no more alan on his high horse he's he's bringing himself down to the level of mere mortals
2: although i will say his jeans in american nightmare fucking pissed me off so bad no bedazzled jeans nobody should ever wear them i swear to god were Just, they bedazzled they weren't bedazzled but they had stupid stitching and i hate it i didn't realize was like a gq like, uh, podcast at
8: this point but uh oh, so like the true yeah. true religion pants or or whatever <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know those well,
1: iconic alan Wake american no, like nightmare the,
2: like the fucking right. zach baggins of the world wear these goddamn stupid pants and
0: well uh... hey let's save this hot gene talk till we talk about american nightmare let's keep that immersion bottled <laughs> up a little bit guys so hey that's that's the writer that is the full alan Wake core game dlc if you've been listening since the beginning thank you so much i can't imagine you jumping in now and not wanting to go back and listen to it um you know, to, to in terms of our, our future here, uh, we do think we're, our plan is to talk about control next. So, if you haven't finished up control, uh, get to it. That game is awesome, uh, Jesse Faden. You got all this great stuff going on in that game. Um, after we talk about control, we will go into uh, AWE, that is the second uh, DLC specifically kind of referencing Alan Wake. Um, and then from there, you know, either America Nightmare, we have some different ideas on. Uh, things uh, we want to record, uh, maybe talk about TV shows or games, other games we play. So, if you have any feedback, anything else you want to talk about that's maybe out of the Remedyverse, uh, you know, comment on the Reddit post. You can hit us up um, in any of the ways as we kind of go through our outros. Uh, so, I don't know what else to say, guys. I think that's it for another episode of the Alan Wake Book Club. Uh, I'm Lance. We got Adam. Hey, hey, Ben.
1: Uh, thank you for joining us for this Alan Wake
0: experience. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike. Thank you. All right. And with that, we are the Alan Wake Book Club. Thank you all so much.
2: Oh, my God. Depeche Mode. I didn't even
0: talk about Depeche
2: Mode. Oh, it's so good. Darkest Star is messed best album by Depeche Mode, in my opinion. So good. I love it. Oh, so, so.